I'll sit down. Um, <laughs> um, and you could do have the first one. Okay. Brilliant. Um, yes, I, I, I'm Colin, for, for those of you who don't know me. Um, and I thought I should explain a little bit about why I'm here this morning. Um, for those of you who do know me, you might know that I'm a fan of crosswords, cryptic crosswords. Uh, and last year, I was invited to take part in the Times National Crossword Championship, which is uh, basically doing three crosswords uh, as quickly as you can. Uh, and I mentioned this to, to Phil Goddard, who sadly couldn't be here today. Uh, and he said, oh, you should come and tell Ken's about it. And I said, well, what would I call that? Putting the cross into the crossword. Not my greatest ever joke, but a joke I thought was good enough to repeat to Mackie, who said, yes, you should do that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, so here I am. He later texted me, say, are, are you happy to join us on, on, and speak on Palm Sunday? I said, yes, yes, I'm happy to do that. And I, I've got his reply here. Uh, Great, thank you. We look forward to it. As long as you don't present a dodgy theology. Smiley face. Um, so I, I will do my best uh, not to do that. Um, he, he also suggested uh, maybe some Mr. Men wearing palms. A lot of people have said to me I should have Mr. Men in this. I'm going to manage expectations. There are no Mr. Men in the presentation. In the Sandy's put them in, I don't know. Um, but we'll start off uh, with some audience participation, if I may. Um, please raise your hand, or your palm, I guess, um, if you know what a crossword is. It's a good start. It's a good start. Okay, and now please raise your hand if you know what a cryptic crossword is. See, I knew I, I, knew I was working with an intelligent audience. Um, but I'm going to explain anyway, because I thought maybe people wouldn't. Um, so if you move to the next slide, please, Andy. I'll explain how cryptic clues work. I won't take too long, because this is uh, a church, not a you know, crossword convention. Um, but this is, this is how a uh, crossword works. So a regular cr crossword clue, you might have a, a definition or a question. It might be something like... Uh, Household pet, three letters, and it's a dog or a cat. Or, or capital of France, five letters, uh, is Paris, something like that. Well, well, cryptic clues, they work similarly in that they always have that bit in it. It's called the definition or the, or the straight part of the clue. Um, but they also have something else going on, so maybe an anagram or, or, or maybe uh, word blocks put together or, or playing with letters. Um, two of these clues uh, are from the, the Times Championship. One of them isn't. I think it will soon become clear which one that is. Um, LAUGHTER so the uh, first one, joke that renders one speechless. Uh, in fact, let's, let's move on to, the, on to the next slide, please, Andy. We're breaking down and explaining how these all work. Uh, a joke that renders one speechless. Well, the answer is gag. Uh, a joke is a gag. A gag renders one speechless. Two different parts. Uh, second one, regularly uh, plays read instrument. Uh, the definition is, is instrument. The answer is liar. You're taking regular letters, L-Y-R-E, from plays read. You get liar. Uh, third one, actuary is strangely cool in maths. Um, definition is an actuary. Strangely is an anagram indicator. It's an anagram of cool in maths. It's Colin Thomas. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, okay, next slide. Left clues for now. Um, so, so the question is, I guess, where is the cross in the crossword? And, and I think there's, there's three uh, points here. Maybe my first seven, but I know you're supposed to have three points, so these are mine. Um, the first one is, there are clues. Uh, second one, air is matter. And the third one, the true meaning can be hidden. Um, if we move on to the next slide, thanks, Andy. Um, there are clues. So there, there are clues in crosswords, and, and there are clues in the Bible. Uh, I'm not talking um, kind of your Bible code, where you take certain letters out and it spells out messages or anything like that. Uh, I, I'm not talking about uh, the video I saw a pastor in Arizona who was saying, oh, if you add up all the verses in the NIV version of Mark, you get to 666, therefore the NIV is satanic. I think that's a dodgy theology Mark was warning me about. Um, and all my quotes are from the NIV. No, um, I'm saying there's, there's clues in the Bible that, that point forward. And um, I don't want to be flippant. I'm, I'm kind of, I know that uh, 
there's more to it than, than clues. Um, in fact, the Bible has, has many things. Obviously, it has, uh, has teaching, it has history, it has poetry, it has praise, it has prophecy. And there's elements in prophecy of, of clues pointing forwards. Um, and the Bible is, is a very important book. I don't think it's a controversial point. Um, the Bible is very important, and it talks about the things that are important. And the things that are important in the Bible aren't necessarily the things that we see as important in, in human history. So... Um, it was fascinating when, when we were looking at Ezra to see how, how Cyrus fit into that, because Cyrus was important in human history, but we saw how he fitted into God's plan, or, or, or perhaps in, in the creation story. It's not giving you a scientific explanation of how um, the world began, but it's pointing out the really important things in God's plan, who God is, what God does, how, how we fit into it. And similarly, the Bible is pointing towards the most important things um, in, in history, not necessarily the things that historians look at, but the things that are really most important, and, and the most important, obviously, uh, is Jesus. The, the Old Testament points toward Jesus. Um, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's, it's a cliche, I think, because it's true, and don't take my word for it, Jesus said it as well. So on the road to Emmaus, uh, he explained how all of Scripture uh, pointed to who he was. Um, and some of, those, some of those clues are very direct clues. For example, um, have uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. I think we all know that passage. That's a very direct clue saying that this is who Jesus is. But I think there are also more indirect clues, more cryptic clues, if you will, um, kind of imagery uh, in the Old Testament and, and um, imagery that points towards Jesus and points towards the cross. And we've been looking at that in the series on Exodus, um, the whole story of Exodus, about God's chosen people being brought out of slavery um, by God. That's, that's a message there about the cross, about being brought out of the slavery of sin. Or more directly, you have the, the Passover, the blood of the Lamb saves the chosen people. And that, that's called back to uh, in 1 Corinthians, for Christ our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. The New Testament directly pointing to where in the Old Testament um, we saw pictures of, of who Jesus was. Um, similarly, manna, the, the bread of life that came from heaven, and we'll be uh, having bread later today. But and again, called back to by Jesus in John. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. All these things pointing forward. And, and in each case, they're not clues just for the sake of having clues. When, when God was bringing the Jews out, or the Israelites out of, out of Egypt, it wasn't just to point towards the cross, although it did that. It was fulfilling God's plan throughout. It was doing kind of two things there, fulfilling God's plan at the time and also pointing towards his greater plan later. And I could fill a whole sermon, I think, with, with Old Testament pictures of the cross. I, I won't. But um, in, back in Start of Genesis, it talks about the offspring uh, of Adam crushing the serpent's head. We have uh, the picture of Abraham and, and Isaac, or even uh, Noah, God's chosen one, who, who saved people from death and, and brought peace. All these pictures pointing towards uh, the cross, pointing towards Jesus. And we have one today on Palm Sunday. Um, Palm Sunday, this, this is mentioned in, in all four Gospels. If you could go to the, the next, to the reading. Thank you. Um, so Palm Sunday is mentioned in, in all four Gospels. But this is, I've taken a bit from, from John. Uh, I'll just read this out. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So I say, Palm Sunday fulfills clues from the Old Testament. That clue that was linked to there is from Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. 
Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And it's not the only time in, in the Old Testament you see a king riding a donkey. You see, in 1 Kings, David instructed Solomon to ride on a mule to be crowned. Um, so we saw in that video earlier, someone saying, oh, was this a prophet coming on a donkey? Well, there was precedent for it. And so this is very clearly, as does the passage John says, and other Gospels say as well, very clearly fulfilling what was written. I guess the question I was asking myself is, is, is why? Why do it like that? And, and so all, some of the Gospels, Matthew says, um, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And I think that phrase can be misunderstood. It's, it's um, almost kind of a cosmic game of, of I told you so. It's, I, I said it was going to happen. It did happen. I think it can be misunderstood if you look at it like that. As a, yes, there is that element of it, of God's showing he is in control. And by doing something like this, it is showing that God is sovereign and that, that God has the plan many, many years in the past that it comes uh, to fruition. But I think there's more to it than that. I mean, partly it's, it's a way of Jesus saying who he was without actually using words at that point. So by, by fulfilling this scripture, he was fulfilling or showing who he was uh, coming into Jerusalem. He wasn't just uh, a prophet. He wasn't just uh, a man, a, a good teacher. He was showing that he was the one who was foretold. And I think also by fulfilling, fulfilling scripture, it's, it's a way of rewarding scripture knowledge. So the disciples that said didn't understand at that point what happened, albeit they understood uh, later. I think much of the crowd didn't understand, but by, by fulfilling scripture, it's always saying the scripture pointing forward to what's going to happen, and I think we have that today as well. So the, the better we understand our Bibles, the better we understand scripture, the more we can understand what God's doing in our lives and what God's doing uh, in our world. So I think there's this part of that um, as well. Um, but uh, it also, I think, points forward. So Jesus was, was fulfilling clues in the way he came in, but I think he was pointing forward um, as well. So partly he was saying what kind of king he was going to be. He wasn't just saying, I am a king. He was saying, like, this is the king I will be. In, in, the, in the Zechariah 9.9, it talks about him righteous, having salvation, gentle. The next verse, Zechariah 9.10, says, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, yes, I'm, I'm the king, but maybe I'm not the king that you think I am. He says, I'm the king who brings peace, the king whose rule will extend from sea to sea. And maybe the crowd were expecting a king who would be a warrior, or a king or just of the Jews. And just by, the virtue, by virtue of coming on that donkey, Jesus was saying, well, no, there's more to it. There's, I'm not a great warrior king in this point. I'm not just coming for the Jews. I'm, I'm a king of peace, and a king who comes for everyone. And I think it points further forward as well. So that's, that's uh, pointing in the kind of short term who Jesus was, what he was going to do. But I think there is an image in the Palm Sunday clouds that, that points forward um, to us as well. So on Palm Sunday, we've seen in the, in the video, we've seen with, with the palms here, people were, were cheering him in, bringing him into the, the city. The crowds were, were ecstatic. They, they were shouting, Hosanna, which literally means save. And they were very eager to see him. And then we don't know for sure, but it's, it's safe to assume that a lot of those people were people who less than a week later were, asked, were, were crying for him to die. They were happy to accept Jesus when he came on their terms, but they weren't happy to accept him when he came on his terms. And I think that is an image for us today. And, and not, maybe, maybe there's an image there of, of people who aren't really Christians, but um, and we see in the scripture that not all who say, Lord, Lord, will be saved. But I, I don't... Well, that's not the image the most helpful for me, at least. I don't think that's what it's saying to me. I think there's an image of, for those of us who are... Christians who do follow Jesus, but are maybe too eager to follow him on our terms and not follow him on his. To, to, to accept the easy message, to accept the, the message that says Jesus comes 
for to save us, but don't necessarily accept the message of the harder message of well, what does that demand of us? What does that mean for us? What is the the deeper message? Uh, which brings me on to my, my second point, Andy. Uh, errors matter. So uh, back to the Times crossword championship. Um, I say we had to do three crosswords as quickly as we could, uh, but if we made any mistakes, that was it. We're out. Um, I say this not just because I didn't make any mistakes, um, but to have a helpful point, hopefully. Um, so there's a lady there who's much better at crosswords than I am, much faster, um, and she, she completed the crosswords much more quickly than I did, but she, she wrote an A in one cell when she should have written an E. And so she was out. That was it. It was one lot. And, and, and that's kind of part of the first message of, of evangelism, is to say, well, yes, sin matters, errors matter. They matter to God. Um, they're not something that can be just pushed aside. And I think there's another image in crosswords as well. If you get one word wrong, it means you get other words wrong. I've had several crosswords where I've got one word wrong, that means I end up with blank T, blank KJ, or something that's because it was, it's pushing into other words, and, and, it, and it spreads. And just like one error can, can spread across a crossword, I think one sin can spread across our lives. And I don't want to dwell too heavily on, on, on this, because there's, there's other things to cover, but uh, sin is, is bad for us, basically. Sin is... is uh, yeah, sin is bad for us, and, and God hates sin. And, and when I say, so when I was evangelizing at university, one person said to me, well, Christianity is all about sin, isn't it? And I was, I was taken aback, really, because I, I don't think, well, I definitely don't think it is, but I also don't think that's really in question. I don't think any, anybody thinks that we don't make errors. That's not the, this message that sets Christianity apart. I think Christianity is all about grace and, and forgiveness and salvation and, and love, and that's what this... Next point is, the cross means that the, our lives aren't like a crossword. It's not a perfect metaphor, but uh, the, the notion of the cross that, yes, we all know we make errors, and we all know they matter, and that's why the cross matters. That's why the cross matters, because we have forgiveness through Jesus' death. We hit the punishment for us, and we have salvation, and that is the key uh, message of the, of the cross and the key message of Christianity. And I'll move on to my third point, um, which means some more crossword clues. Now, you've all done very well the first time, and you've had minutes of training, um, so I'm <laughs> expecting you to be able to shout out the answers. Um, but the true meaning can be hidden. Uh, in crosswords, we have something we call uh, the surface meaning, or, or, or the surface. And the idea of the surface is, well, this is what it sounds like it's saying. This is what it's saying if it wasn't a cryptic crossword clue, if, if just someone was, was in conversation. So three examples here, again, two of them from the, uh, from the crossword championship. Uh, it's the first one that isn't. Um, but it's, it's talking about managed fire rifle. It sounds like you're firing a gun. Uh, second one, I saw amongst nasty edifices. It, it sounds like you're talking about an ugly building. Uh, third one, piece of meat uh, that is providing a dish. It sounds like it's talking about a, a meal. Um, in fact, none of those clues are talking about any of those things. Um, if you move on to the next one, Andy. Thanks. Um, so the first one, uh, managed to fire rifle. The answer is ransack. Ransack means rifle. You rifle through something, you ransack. Uh, managed is ran. He managed a hotel, he ran a hotel, sack is fire, ransack, ransack. There you go. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you take anything away today. Um, I saw amongst nasty edifices. The answer is sty. It's a hidden word in nasty edifices in red, hopefully you can see that. Um, it's literally I saw. Uh, and thirdly, piece of meat is a cut, a cut of meat. That is, is I-E, that's literally what I-E means. The answer is cutie, which is a dish. Um, so none of these, none of these clues... Uh, <laughs> might be the first time anyone's used the word cutie in a sermon. Um, but hopefully not the last. Um, so so, so none, of these, um, none of these clues are doing what they seem to be doing. And if we move on to the next one, Andy, I think that's true 
uh, throughout the Bible and throughout Jesus' life as well. The true meaning can be hidden. They're not doing what they seem to be doing. We see that in Jesus' life right from the beginning. Born into, into a stable, surrounded by, by livestock, visited by shepherds who are effectively outcasts. That's, that, on the surface, that's a very lowly birth. That's, that's the surface of, of someone who isn't important. And the true meaning is completely different. And the same is true, I think, of Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday wasn't what it seemed to the people who were there or even to the disciples at, at that point. It seems like a, a kind of a messianic saviour who's come to defeat the Romans, a, a great king who's come in to, to, to defeat the, uh, the Roman Empire. Or, or perhaps it looks like it's uh, some sort of uh, opportunist who, who's riding the, the popularity of the crowd, and, and he's, got the, he's got the crowd behind him, and, and he's going to march in front of them. Well, if they, that, that's what the service may look like. Um, if that was true, what would be the, the logical next step? Well, the logical next step, maybe he, he'd, he'd uh, confront... Pilate or, or Caesar or, or, or declaim against, against uh, Rome. Well, I say it's in all four Gospels, and in the first uh, three Gospels, the very next passage we see is Jesus clearing the temple. And that's not what you do if, you're, if you've come in to, to, to lead the Jews against Rome. And, and it's like what we see in the, uh, in the Old Testament, where what's important to God isn't necessarily what's important to man. So what Jesus was doing was saying, well, the important thing isn't the Romans, really. It's not the Roman Empire or whatever else. The important thing is your relationship with God. And you're getting that wrong. So they say there's the first three Gospels. The fourth Gospel, John. The next passage in John is called Jesus Predicts His Death. And that's definitely not what you do if you've come in as a a conquering saviour, is to say, well, I'm going to die very shortly. And on the surface of it, that looks like failure. And that brings me on to the next one. The the, the cross wasn't what it seemed. This is the ultimate example, I think. It looks from the outside like failure. And even uh, even in the New Testament, many hundreds of years ago, that was the view Paul writing in 1 Corinthians says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. And later, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So even back then, people didn't understand the cross. They thought maybe it was, it was, a, it was a foolish message, it was failure, it was even blasphemous. And sadly, I think that still seems to be the case in much of the world today. I, I was talking to a friend of mine from work who, uh, he's not a Christian, uh, he, he knows I am, occasionally uh, we talk about these things, and he said, fairly flippantly I guess, he said, um, if God's so powerful, surely he could have made it so that his son didn't die. What, why did that happen? And I was kind of, again, taken aback that people don't understand what the cross is about. People don't understand that the cross was part of God's plan. People don't understand that actually, yeah, sure, it's a very somber, sad Day, but it's also the, the greatest moment in Christian history. In history, it is it is what we pin our all our hopes to. And he just didn't get that. He thought it was it was complete failure. And I think that's why it brings on to the final point that the church has to be more than it seems. What is the, what is the surface reading of the church? Well, I think some people think of it as kind of a social club. People meet up with friends. A friend of me once said to me, "I'm not really into religion. I'm more into politics." As if those were kind of equivalents, and, and you could like-minded people. Or, or, or maybe it's, um, it's seen as kind of a duty, something we have to do. We have to be in church on a Sunday morning. And again, the same friend as before was astounded that I might want to study the Bible midweek because that wasn't one of the things you had to do. Why, why would you do that? Or most commonly, I think the church is seen as, as a group of people who, who are good people or people who want to be good, people who want to, to help in society or help the poor or help the needy. And I wouldn't for a second say that wasn't true. There's a lot of Jesus in that. But that's not what the church is. That's not what sets the church apart. 
And I say we have to we have to be more than that. We have to we have to do more than that. Those things don't really have anything to do with with the cross. And as to say, the cross, the message of the cross that, that sets uh, the church apart. And we live in a world where people don't understand that message. We live in a world uh, where people might think the cross is failure. Or they just might not think about it at all. Uh, and so I guess finally, the, the, the challenge uh, to me and the, and the challenge I, I leave with you uh, is, as a church and as individuals, do we know people who, who don't understand that message? Do we, do we know people who, who yeah, say, who either think the cross is, is, is a failure or just don't think about it uh, at all? Uh, and yeah, do, do we know those people? And, and if we do know those people, what are we doing about it, I guess? How, how are we making that change? How, how are we uh, spreading that message, particularly uh, at this time of Easter? Because as we've seen, we know what the, the cross is. We, we know that it was pointed to uh, throughout history. We know it was always part of God's plan. We know it's the pinnacle of God's plan. We know it's so vitally important for us. It's why we're here. Um, it's, it's how we can be here. And we know it's, it's so much more uh, than it seems. So, so it's Easter time, good Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter... I think it's a time to, to make sure that message is known. Let's uh, pray now. Yeah, thank you, Father God. Thank you for the message uh, you've given to us. I thank you for the, the salvation um, that you've, of the cross. I thank you that we can pin our hopes to that and that no matter uh, where we go, you will not, uh, we don't go too far from you. You've, always, you've forgiven us and you've loved us, Lord. And I pray that you would help us this, this Easter time uh, to make sure that in all the celebrations and, and, and chocolate and what have you, that we don't lose sight of that and, and that we don't lose sight of bringing that message to others. Amen.